Thanks, Brandon. Before we turn to the message, I want to let you know about a need that we have here at Faith. We offer a ministry here at Faith called Divorce Care for those that are going through divorce. And we also have a, a, a corresponding ministry to their kids of people who are going through divorce, Divorce Care for Kids. And we currently need three more volunteers for Divorce Care for Kids. And that's a safe place for kids to process their thoughts and their emotions during a difficult time. And so if you have uh, the, the margin in your life and you have a compassion for kids like that, if you would let us know and we'll get you more information, you can fill out the connection card. Just give us your name and write Divorce Care for Kids or you can email one of the, the pastors or just mention it to us and we will get you more information. Thanks. Well, I brought something today for show and tell. This here is one of my favorite tools. This is one of two tools that my dad owned that I actually uh, have and use. This is called a draw knife. It's basically a blade attached to two handles. Uh, and a, a draw knife is used to remove slices of wood. And in, in case you don't know, I make Windsor chairs. It's kind of a serious hobby. And you cannot make a Windsor chair by hand without a draw knife. And so use it to shape the spindles and the bow, use it to shape the seat. So if you came to me and, and asked if, if you could borrow this draw knife, I would probably say no. But if I did loan it to you, I would give you a little lecture about what you should not use it for and what you should use it for. I would say, do not use this to scrape metal off a, a pole or to scrape paint off a metal pole. Use a paint scraper for that. Don't use this to pry up nails, okay? Use a, a claw hammer for that or whatever. You use a draw knife when you want to remove shavings of wood from a log, from a piece of wood. And so if you wanted to make, well, that's dangerous. If you wanted to make this piece of wood into a spindle, you would use a draw knife. A draw knife does this job better than any other tool. So use a draw knife when it's the best tool available. You can actually use a draw knife to cut between the growth rings on a piece of wood. If it's sharp enough, surgically sharp, and you're skillful enough, you can actually slice this piece of wood between the growth rings. And that's what you're going for when you make a spindle because you want the grain to run the whole length of the wood, right? Now, why do we make spindles? We make a spindle because you want to make a chair, okay? And so I am not in any way passionate about a draw knife. I am somewhat passionate about making chairs. Therefore, a draw knife is a very, very, very valuable tool. I tell you all of this because in a similar way, uh, fasting is like a draw knife. It is a tool. And uh, I'm not advocating that we be passionate about fasting today. I'm advocating that we be passionate about seeking God. And there are uh, ways to misuse fasting. Some people can use it to impress others. Some people can use it to become self-righteous. Some people use it to try to manipulate God. Jesus will warn against all those things. But if it's used skillfully, if it's used appropriately, it is a tool that can do what almost nothing else can do. It can help us seek God more fervently. 
And we're in many different places when it comes to fasting. Uh, looking around this room, I know that some of you are very experienced and very skilled when it comes to fasting. Others of you have probably never fasted at all. And by the way, a quick and easy definition of fasting is to abstain from food voluntarily for a period of time for spiritual purposes. And so it's voluntary. You go without food. You can go without breakfast, go without breakfast and lunch. You can go longer, but you do it for spiritual reasons. People fast for many different reasons, for health reasons. Now you've got a, a, a blood test coming up. We fast for all sorts of reasons. This is for spiritual reasons. Today I'd like you, for you to consider whether you are experienced or not, whether you're very mature in your faith or not, I would like for you to consider the possibility that fasting can become an effective and satisfying way of seeking God. Fasting can become an effective and satisfying way of seeking God. And the key to fasting is being passionate about God. If you are passionate about seeking God, about knowing God, about experiencing God's fullness, then fasting may just be the tool you grab, the thing that can, do, can help you seek God more fervently like nothing else. If you're not passionate about God, fasting will likely just always be an annoyance. It might be something that, that actually uh, angers you. It might be something that, that you just find uh, troublesome to even think about. And so the key is whether or not you're passionate about seeking God. But if you're concerned, if you are convinced that the God of the universe actually notices your heart, your, your motives, your seeking, fasting may just be a satisfying, effective way to seek him. A couple weeks ago, we looked at 2 Chronicles 7, where God said to king, the, the king of Israel, he said, if my people who are called by my name will do these four things, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, then I will do these three things. I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And so if you find yourself in a place where you are desperate for God to hear your prayers, you are desperate for God to forgive and cleanse you from some sin, you are desperate for God to heal you or us or this world or this country in some way, then fasting is an amazing way to humble yourself and seek his face and pray and, and turn from your wicked ways. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. This year we're designating the six weeks that are leading up to Easter as a season of seeking. And between now and then, over the next three weeks, before we start this six-week period, we're encouraging you to do three things. We're encouraging you to decide that you will seek God. Instead of saying, well, we'll just see what happens. We're actually, actually encouraging you to make a definite decision. By God's grace, I will seek him. How you will seek him, we're talking about seeking him through prayer, fasting, and the word. And then why you will seek him. What's a compelling reason? What's, what, what are you desperate for God to do? And so we're going to talk today about how to seek God or why we should seek God through fasting. Now, before we jump into the passage that Brandon read, I want to just acknowledge something that, that's really pretty important for us to, to realize. There are some people who really should not fast from food. 
Um, if you have a medical condition such as diabetes or if you're pregnant, uh, if you have an unhealthy relationship with food, uh, generally speaking, it's unadvisable that you fast from food. I talked to somebody uh, this past week who uh, really wants to fast. She feels like uh, they're, not, they're kind of missing out on something important by not fasting, but they have made the decision not to fast during this season of seeking because of, of past eating disorders. And that is a wise and discerning, and I would say even a courageous decision. And, and God knows our motives. He knows our hearts. If for some reason you should not fast, you know, it's like I would never feel any guilt about not using this, this draw knife if, if I shouldn't use it. Feel no guilt about not fasting. There's absolutely no shame in that. You might consider abstaining from something else. Uh, you might abstain, abstain from television five days a week. Okay, if that's something that you, you occupy your time with, it needs to be something you notice, something good, just like food is good, it's a gift from God, it's to be enjoyed, something God has given you, to, something that's permissible, you can abstain from that. Or maybe if you're in the habit, if you drive a lot and you're in the habit of listening to radio, music, podcasts, news, whatever, you might voluntarily decide to abstain from that and that will interrupt your, it will disrupt your normal routine. It will remind you that there's something burning on your heart why you might seek God. And so uh, you might consider that fasting is not a great option for you. So we turn to Matthew 6, and Jesus first talks about avoiding fasting for the wrong reasons. He's already in Matthew 6 talked about not trying to impress others by the way we give to the poor or by the way we pray. Here in Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. And so as he said with giving to the poor, as he said with prayer, he said when you fast, not if you fast. Fasting was woven into the fabric of Jewish culture. Uh, all Jews fasted on the Day of Atonement, one day a year. They fasted at other, other times when there was some crisis in the nation or when the other circumstances demanded it. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were in the habit of fasting twice a week, normally on Mondays and Thursdays. And so fasting was just a normal, common practice. And Jesus' caution here is to avoid fasting in such a way so that other people will notice and be impressed. Jesus said, don't be sad, gloomy, don't be disheveled, don't, don't uh, look all haggard, don't try to get people to notice you so they'll be impressed that you're fasting. Jesus says that if the thing you really want is the notice of other, notice of other people, go for it. But that's all you will get. You will get no reward from your Father in heaven. Your fasting will be spiritually worthless. And that probably is not a, a, a temptation for us, right? I don't think I ever would be tempted to look haggard so somebody might by chance come up and say, what's the matter? Are you fasting? Are you seeking God? Probably never do that. But the Bible uh, cautions us against other, other ways of fasting that are off target, misuses of fasting. For example, in Luke 18, Jesus told a parable 
about a Pharisee who was a religious leader. They were kind of the, uh, the A-team. Uh, a Pharisee and a tax collector, they were outcasts. They were the lowest on the, the spiritual totem pole. They both went up to the temple to pray. And this is what the Pharisee prayed. This is in Luke 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And so here he is. He's boasting about fasting. Fasting is supposed to be a way to humble ourselves before God. We go without food and we realize how weak we are. We realize how dependent we are to to feel good in order to, to live a good life. And here he is and he's He's, uh, his fasting and tithing were a source of pride and self-righteousness. And he was so impressed with himself, especially in relation to this other dude, that he was positive that God would be impressed also. So he rehearses this in God's presence. Jesus makes clear God was not impressed at all. He had his reward. He was getting nothing from God. And so, in your life in general, and especially during this, this season of seeking in particular, Uh, I want to urge you to be very careful not to fast for the wrong reason. It would be better that you not fast, even if you can, not fast at all, rather than to fast as a way to to, uh, prove you're superior to other people, as a way to feel good about your your amazing self-discipline, and by contrast, uh, your, your superiority to others. Uh, do not fast out of obligation because that's what the church is doing. Well, I guess I'm just going to go along with it when your heart's not in it. And I'll just be honest with you. Most of the fasting I've done over the past 40 plus years since I've been following Christ has been out of obligation. I'm supposed to fast. Jesus said, when you fast. So, okay, I'll fast. And it's mostly been a fixation on not eating as opposed to what we're going to look at in the next couple of verses. I'm happy to report that God is changing my habits. He's changing my heart. He's given me a vision for fasting. He's given me a degree of satisfaction with fasting. And that's when it's used. That happens when fasting is used as a tool, a tool that can be used skillfully, a tool that can be used wisely, in seeking after God. And so in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, fast for the notice and the reward of your father. The notice and reward of your father. So in verse 17 and 18, we read this. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so don't be, don't be paranoid about somebody else noticing that you're fasting. If you live with people or if you regularly eat meals with people, they're probably going to know that you're not eating, okay? So don't, don't feel like you need to skulk around and, and somehow deceive people in that way, that Jesus is warning against improper motives, why you're going without food. 
He says, instead of trying to be noticed by other people, he says in verse 18, fast to be noticed by your, your heavenly Father who sees in secret. And Jesus' instruction here suggests we need to, to, to fast believing in two specific things. Number one, we need to believe that God sees what is done in, in secret. We need to believe that, that God actually notices when you pray to him in secret, when you, when you fast for his eyes only. And this is taught throughout Scripture. The eyes of, eyes of the Lord go, go to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is fully his. He notices hearts. And so the fact that God sees everything and that nothing escapes his, his notice should be a great motivation for prayer and fasting. God actually notices when we are God-centered, when we're centered on him, not centered on us. So when we intentionally humble ourselves through fasting, he sees our efforts at seeking him. And second, we fast believing that our Father who sees in secret will reward us. Okay, do you see it there? He says, your Father who sees in secret will reward, will reward you. And sometimes people, good-hearted people, balk at the idea of rewards because it seems so transactional. It seems like, well, if I do this, then God's going to do this, like he owes me something. But in the Bible, rewards are not earned. Rewards are strictly an expression of God's grace. God gives rewards because he is gracious, not because we deserve it or because we earn it. Hebrews 11.6 is a, a great, great scripture in this regard. There we read, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. God. You can do a lot of things without faith. You can make a lot of money without faith. You can be an upstanding citizen without faith, but you cannot please God without faith. And then he mentions two things. Four, he who comes to God must believe, number one, that he is. You have to believe that God exists. We're not just, God is not a figment of our imagination. He's not a fairy tale. He exists. And number two, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It is an insult to God to think that he does not reward us when we seek him. If you're a generous person and you want to be generous to somebody else and they continually deny that you are generous, if they, they, they accuse you of being stingy, that's an insult. And so when we come to God, when we seek God, we need to believe he exists and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Interesting, if you keep reading in Hebrews 11, you'll find that many of the examples, these heroes of faith, some of them received rewards in this life. Many of them did not receive it until the next life, okay? And so that's instructive for us. Back in Matthew 6, Jesus says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He doesn't say exactly how God will reward us, uh, sometimes he does reward us by giving us the exact thing that we're seeking. We're seeking freedom in some area of bondage. God says, absolutely, I freely give this to you. So we're, we're seeking wisdom. God says, you, you ask for wisdom, you, you ask in faith, absolutely, I will give you that wisdom for your life. But there are other examples in Scripture. 1 Samuel 12 is, is probably the most dramatic example where David fasted and uh, his, his son was sick. He fasted, and uh, the son did not live. It's a, it's a complex example, but it makes clear that when we 
seek God through, through prayer and fasting. It's not a guarantee we'll get exactly what we want. But again, we're seeking God. And we fast in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are fasting for the notice of someone who has proven that he is for us. He has proven that he can be trusted. So we're not laying down an ultimatum. We're not saying, God, I am, I am going without food. I am skipping breakfast and lunch today. You better come through for me. God has nothing to prove, nothing to prove. He has proven that he's compassionate beyond what we can fathom. And so we trust him. You know, we're going we're gonna to provide a, a guide for you during this season of seeking. And we'll have more teaching on fasting. We'll have more ideas about fasting. Each week there will be a focus for fasting. And you can be thinking about how you might fast. You might fast for a meal. You might fast for two meals or even, even longer. But this morning I want us to kind of think about why we might fast, how a passion for God might suggest that fasting is exactly what we need in our lives. How fasting might actually fuel your hunger for God, as, so, as one author put it. And so to me, the most, fasting, the, the most fascinating example of fasting in the entire Bible is in Psalm 35. King David uh, had many enemies. He had people who were out to kill him. He had people who slandered him. And in the middle, of, he's rehearsing all these offenses. In the middle of Psalm 35, this is what, what we read. It's really striking. We're going to ask the question, why in the world would David do what he says here? This is Psalm 3511. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. And he says this. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. That was a sign of mourning. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. Isn't that striking? David had these enemies. They were malicious against him. And so what does he do? He humbled himself with fasting. He went without food to intensify his prayers where he prayed for them. He prayed for his enemies. And we wonder, who does that? Why did David do that? And we wonder, why might you, why might I mourn and pray and fast for the people that I perceive to be my enemies, the people that bring opposition to me? Why would I do that? Why would you do that? Well, one reason is because of what Peter said in 1 Peter 3. Peter said, do not return evil for evil, or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. He actually said, you were called for this. God, when you were his enemy, he sent his son to die for you. You imitate God, and you love your enemies. You pray for them. You don't return evil for evil, insult for insult, but you give a blessing instead. Think about it. Think about your enemy, the person that comes to mind for you. What an extravagant gift it would be to them, even though they don't know about it, for you to humble yourself through fasting, and for you to pour out your prayer to God on their behalf. What an extravagant way to bless them. 
And I would, would suggest this. If you are caught in the grip of bitterness or you are caught in the grip of revenge or unforgiveness, or if your enemies are living in your head and their voices torment you night and day, the thing that may bring you freedom, may release you, and you'll have the same peace that God has toward his enemies, might be prayer and fasting on their behalf. Do you have to do that? Absolutely not. It's a tool. If it's effective, pick it up and use it. If it's not, if there's something else that works better, by all means, use that. One more example, and then we'll wrap it up. Or I, w- I would just say you can broaden that out. If you have bondage in, in any area of your life, perhaps you need freedom from anger or sensuality or jealousy or fear or anxiety. Fasting and prayer may be the thing, may be the tool that God uses to give you freedom. One more example. In Acts 9, we have, uh, we have the example, we have the account of Saul. We, we know him more popularly, his Greek name was Paul, but he was on his way to Damascus, right? And he believed that he was serving God by going to Damascus, arresting Christians, bringing them back to Jerusalem, and uh, some of them would, would very likely be executed. On his way, God blinds him with this light. Literally, it was so bright, it blinded him, knocked him to the ground, and, and, and Jesus appears to him, and says, or Jesus' voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he tells him, go to, go to Damascus, and I will give you further instructions. And this man named Ananias, God waited three days to send Ananias to, to talk with, with Saul. And uh, during those three days, we're told that Saul neither ate nor drank. Saul fasted for those three days. God had turned his world upside down. God had his full attention. And so he he said, okay, God, you have done this. You've turned my world upside down. I'm going to seek you with prayer and fasting. And so maybe your world has been turned upside down in some way. It might be a relationship, a dear relationship to you that has blown up. It might be that you've had some, some health scare. It might be something related to your career. It might be something that, that somebody has done to you. It might be something that you've done. But your world has been turned upside down. If you are desperate to hear from God, if you are desperate not to miss what God wants to teach you, how God wants to lead you, fasting could be a great tool to use in conjunction with prayer and the word. And so over the next three weeks, try to discern why you will seek God this Easter season, whether or not fasting is one of the tools that you will employ. I had a conversation a while back with somebody who... um, I was very struck by, by how this person corrected me. Uh, this is a person who has a gym membership, and they were telling me about all this equipment they have at their house for working out, okay, like treadmills and, I don't know, Peloton or whatever, and they run and they, they cycle, and I said, you must be, pa- you are so passionate about working out. And this person corrected me. They said, no, I'm actually passionate about being healthy, right? I said, ah, oh, that's a great clarification. Just to make clear, I'm not suggesting that we get passionate about fasting. No, I'm suggesting that we be passionate about seeking God, knowing God. Those who seek, find. 
Heavenly Father, we ask that you will lead us in these things. We readily acknowledge there's a million ways that, that fasting can go wrong. And we know our hearts and we can, tend, we, we can turn good things into idols. We can misuse good gifts you've given us. And fasting surely is in that category. We pray, God, that we would be wise, we would be skillful. We think about fasting. We employ fasting. Pray for those here today who really should not fast. We pray you would lead them in wise and good ways. We trust you, God. God, turn our hearts to you. God, may we, may we consider the things you say in Scripture and love the things you say in Scripture and seek you with all our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.